Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Hear now the word of the Lord from the book of Jonah, chapter 4. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord be with you, Tulare Community Church. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at TCC. It's a big day around the country. People dress up to enact their favorite historical figures, all kinds of things. It's Reformation Day. Happy Reformation Day. Any other possible holiday that, holiday that might fall on this day is not worth our time. We're wrapping up our sermon series on the book of Jonah that we're calling The Prodigal Prophet which is a title that we stole from a book by Tim Keller of the same name that's about the book of Jonah. Max Dupree says that leadership is naming reality, and it's important that that's done, and I want to do that right now. There is a tangible heaviness on the collective heart of the TCC community. There's much to celebrate, certainly. We have launched TCC East, which has been amazing. We have seen babies born. We have seen baptisms happen. It's Halloween today, and many of you will be out with your kids in some way or another celebrating together as a family. There is much to celebrate, but there's also much to lament. These past weeks and months have been very, very hard. Diagnoses, hospice, funerals, as hard as these things are, we're not going to shy away from them. We're the church. We step into the pain, into the grief, into the lament. And as we step into those things, we step closer to the God who is with us every step of the way. And so I want to keep our time together simple today. As we conclude this book of Jonah, we are confronted with three things. We are confronted with a will, a why, and a with. Will, why, with. It's been interesting how often we as a pastoral staff have heard prayers of thanks for God's sovereignty lately. It's encouraging to us that God's sovereignty, which means his control, his authority, his power, that that brings comfort, that that brings peace. 
On one level, it's comforting to know that there is nothing that is a surprise to God. It brings a sense of quiet peace when we know and believe that there is nothing that is truly random. But on another level, why prayers of thanks for God's sovereignty are so encouraging to hear is that those prayers point to an understanding of God's character. If God's character was unpredictable or malicious or changing, then his sovereignty wouldn't be comforting in the slightest. God is consistent. He is righteous. He is unchanging. When we know this, we know that we can trust him because we trust his character. And if we trust his character, then we can be hopeful that when he makes decisions about things, when he enacts his will, when his will is done, then that will will also be trustworthy because it reflects his character. The decisions we make, the actions we take, our will reflects who we most truly are, reflects what makes us us. And the same goes for God. And in our passage today in, and in the book of Jonah overall, we see God's will reflect his character in two significant ways, in justice and in mercy. We have an idea of what mercy means, but justice has become somewhat of a cultural catch-all. At its core, justice means that there are tangible consequences for wrongs. Justice is a core theme in the Bible, and justice is central to who God is. In the book of Jonah, we see justice take center stage right away. Chapter 1 opens with God uh, saying to Jonah, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Nineveh has acted in an evil way. They have sinned, and they must be reprimanded. There must be a consequence for their evil, and we know from chapter 3 that the consequence will be the overthrowing of the entire city in 40 days' time. See, if we believe that God is good, and we'll get into exactly why he's good a little later, then, we must be di- then he must be diametrically opposed to bad. If he weren't opposed to evil, he wouldn't be good, and we would be unable to trust him as we do. If he weren't opposed to evil, we wouldn't pray prayers of thanks for his sovereignty. See, God must right wrongs. He must enact justice when there is a need for it. Now, this reality is far from popular in the 21st century Western world. We want to believe in a God that is loving, not a God who would ever punish. But that idea is pretty hollow when we take it even a half step further and ask whether God could be loving if he weren't just. Would it be loving to allow genocide, to allow rape, to allow child abuse to go unpunished? How could God be loving if he didn't hate those things and do something about it? Miroslav Volf, a Christian philosopher and theologian, was raised in former what, is, uh, what used to be Yugoslavia, which was a region that endured the atrocity of the Bosnian genocide. It was an ethnic cleansing. And Volf wrote this in his book, Exclusion and Embrace. He said, It takes the quiet of a suburban home for the birth of the thesis 
that we should desire a God who refuses to judge. See, if God is loving, then he must be just. There must be consequences for evil, and for that we say, thank goodness. We see that reality on display with the Ninevites in the book of Jonah. They have been violent, they have been evil, they have sinned, and there must be consequences for their actions. There must be justice. While we celebrate God's justice, if he were only just, then we'd all be in a world of hurt. If he were only just, then the Ninevites would have been blown off the face of the planet, and rightfully so. We just looked at this last week. If God only were to punish wrongs, as justified as he would be in that punishment, then we'd all be totally terrified all the time. Psalm 130, verse 3, says, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? No truer statement has ever been uttered. But Psalm 130 continues, naturally, to verse 4, And says, but with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. See, God is just, and he is also merciful. He doesn't wipe the Ninevites off the face of the planet, though he had every right to do so. He spares them because it is his will to show mercy to the worst of us. We can be thankful that God is sovereign when we know we can trust his character, which is reflected in his will. And his will is that he will not let evil go punished, but he will also offer mercy even, and sometimes especially, when it is undeserved. See, we live and we breathe because of God's mercy. If God only viewed us through the lens of justice, none could stand and we would live in abject terror. We need both. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7 sums this up well. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. His will is both complete justice and complete mercy. Hallelujah. Now, we've spent a good bit of time here just unpacking God's will because there are times in our lives when even though we understand that he's merciful, even when we understand that he's just, and all of that means that he is a God of love, even when we understand that he's consistent and trustworthy, sometimes we're so angry, so confused, so hurt that we don't care. After God shows mercy to the Ninevites at the end of chapter 3, chapter 4 starts like this. It says, But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. For it is better for me to die than to live. He's saying, I knew you were going to do this. Why on earth did you drag me all the way here just to do exactly what I knew you'd do? Even when we know who God is and understand that his will reflects his character, we, like Jonah, still find ourselves asking why God carries out that will the way that he does. 
Sometimes understanding that God's will is balanced and fair and loving doesn't stop us from turning our backs on him when we're angry. Doesn't stop us from turning our backs on him when we're hurt. Even after acknowledging God's compassion, acknowledging God's love, he uses those words, Jonah turns his back. He leaves the city and he goes and he sits alone and he says, it would be better for me to die than to live. I'll never forget a sermon I heard from a guy at a little tiny church in Ann Arbor on a Monday night some years ago. It was an emotional sermon. It was raw. In it, he described the experience of losing his wife after her long battle with a horrible disease. Lost in grief, this man, he he went walking in the woods by his home, and he stumbled out into a clearing in the trees. He's totally alone, there's no one around, and he picks up a rock by the side of some abandoned train tracks, and he yells at the top of his lungs, and he throws the rock into the sky. Yell after yell, rock after rock, he exhausts himself. And it wasn't until later that he understood that he was yelling at God. He was throwing rocks at God, begging for an answer as to why God would allow his wife to die. Maybe you can relate to this. And maybe this is where you find yourself today. Maybe you've been throwing rocks at God for weeks, for months, maybe even years. And for many of us, if God were to ask the same question he asks Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? We'd probably reply exactly like Jonah does in verse 9 when he says, it is. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Sometimes like Jonah, we might understand who God is and maybe even understand that his will is ultimately something that we want. But that can all fall to the side when we ask Why? Why, Lord, would you allow this to happen? Why would you drag me along on this roller coaster ride if this is what your will was from the jump? Sometimes all we can do is yell and throw rocks and ask, why? And the really tough reality is that we may never know exactly why until we meet him face to face. See, we don't know exactly why he decides the things he decides. Why exactly he permits what he permits. But even in the midst of the anger, in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of the grief, in the midst of the throwing rocks, there is a promise that the gospel makes to us. That God is always with us. There's a line in a song I love by a rapper named Andy Minio, and it's featuring a woman speaking in the background, and she says this. She says, The moment I'm furious with God, I'm totally close, because you cannot be furious with someone who's not there. See, God doesn't draw away from the anger. He doesn't draw away from the pain. He doesn't draw away from our cries of why. He doesn't draw away from the throne rocks. No, he draws near. He draws near in the grief. He draws near in the confusion. In the confusion, he draws near in the pain that is beyond words. And he draws near with compassion. 
because he understands what we're going through. When Jesus went to the cross, he experienced all the pain, all the sorrow, the fury, and the sin of the entire world all at once. He took everything that we've ever experienced and lost, what we could only ever dream of, perfect intimacy with God. Jesus is called Emmanuel in the Gospels, meaning God with us, because he is exactly that, with us. He is with us in sorrow, with us in the lament. And he knows it because he felt it himself. Look at the nails in his hands, the nails in his feet, the suffering that he endured for us so that we would never have to suffer alone again. When Jesus went to the cross, God proved that his ultimate will was to be with us and he was willing to do whatever it took to make that a reality. And why? Because he wanted to. He didn't need us, but he wanted to be with us. To Jonah's question, God doesn't need us to carry out his will. All we ever really do is get in the way. But like a good father, he wants to carry out his will with us anyway. That is his will, and there's nothing we can do to stop it. Notice that even when Jonah turns his back on God, is furious with God, wants nothing to do with God, God is still there with him, never leaving his side. See, even when we're furious with him, even when the pain is beyond what we can bear, even when we throw rocks and ask why, he is still with us. And he understands exactly what we're feeling, not because he had to, but because he wanted to. That was his will. And we rest as Christians in the ultimate hope that all of the pain, all of the agony, all of the mourning, all the lament will not be in vain. We rest in expectation with the Christian hope that Jesus will return, that he will make all things right, and that all of that agony will be wiped away once and for all. That is his will. And that is his will to spend eternity with us. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.